Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports Professor Riccaro, and you are keeping score. Some would say this week is an equinox. I'd say it's just an immersion for fans. All five North American stick and ball sports playing at the exact same time, a phenomena that's not happening any other time of the year, and some would say it's better than Haley's Comet, at least for those in the sports business. So let's get right to it. The deals of the week, three to one. Number three, 2019 marks the second year out of the last three the NFL has staged four games in London. Those four games involved eight different teams recently, but now the NFL will test one team playing successive matches in the city as it further explores the long-touted concept of having one of its 32 franchises being permanently situated in London. Chris Halpin, the NFL's chief strategy and growth officer, told the London Times as part of the long-term effort, something we wanted to see, which is to test out being in London for two games over a week. It's a very key element of the exploration of a franchise. And although the league is yet to decide on an official organization that could move overseas, the Jaguars have an agreement to host one game in London through 2020 and have regularly been mentioned as the team that's the best fit to move to the UK. We'll see. That's number three. Number two, the NBA now allows teams to carry sponsor relationships overseas as its international push continues. As the NBA regular season gets underway in earnest, the Wall Street Journal said that each team will be able to work with up to two sponsors on advertising campaigns outside the U.S. and Canada, an expansion of the league's global marketing activity. Previously, teams couldn't participate in marketing campaigns or events outside their home markets, and while that rule remains in place in North America, teams now can have their logos and their players appear in other countries, such as a retail store, or they can distribute non-game content on a sponsor's social media channels in those international markets. The new international opportunities come into effect just as the NBA has been embroiled in global affairs, and though the rule comes into effect after the China turbulence, the Board of Governors approved the new international marketing rules at the NBA League meeting in April. NBA executives believe the change can boost global revenue as well as create brand recognition where none has existed before. And that's number two. Finally, number one, FIFA announced that this year's Women's World Cup in France, watched by a record-breaking 1.12 billion viewers across all platforms. SportsPro says the figure accounts for viewers watching TV at home, digital platforms, or out-of-market. International women's soccer event in Canada in 2015 was great, but this eclipsed it. 750 million watched that event. Now we're over 1.1 billion. FIFA added that 993 million viewers in 2019 watched at least one minute of coverage on TV alone. 481 million tuned in via digital platforms, up from 86 million in 2015. And in addition, the U.S. women's national team's 2-0 win over the Netherlands in the final, the most watched women's World Cup match ever. 
average live audience at 82 million. The tournament aired by 62 broadcasters across 205 territories, with many participating teams' matches breaking viewing records in their home markets. And notably, the 2018 FIFA Men's World Cup final between France and Croatia roped in a combined global audience of 1.12 billion, the same number that FIFA says tuned in over the course of the entire women's tournament. That's number one. Soccer, 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 football internationally. Great timing for an interview. The Canada Premier League having its finals and the Canadian folks pattern their businesses from a combination of Premier League, International Leagues, uh, MLS and otherwise. David Klaken, and I'm hoping because he is Irish and he's become a friend. I hope I don't butcher his name. People understand who he is in Canada, by the way. He is the president and chairman of Restaurant Brands International in Canada. He's certainly a significant businessman in addition to lending his expertise to Canadian soccer, the Canada Premier League. Great time to hear from David. Sports Professor Riccardo inside the boardroom beyond the scoreboard. International and soccer, two of our biggest issues that we always tend to cover. In America, we're focusing on the beginning of the National Football League. That is so small-minded. There are so many other events and issues around the globe. And David Klanikin, who is uh, who leads, basically, he'll tell you, but the ineffectively Canadian soccer as we know it. He's a commissioner, but he'll describe it specifically. Soccer growing all over North America, certainly all over the world. David, good to have you. Yes, thanks very much. It's uh, great to great to be on with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Talk a little bit about your league. Talk about the growth. Talk about where your league is in re- respect to Canadian soccer and where it is in respect to everything else. Sure. So uh, this is the first. Uh, this is the real first time that Canada's ever had a uh, premier Premier League, which would be the top top level of profession professional uh, football or soccer. Uh, you know, in, in, in the country. Now, in the past, we've, we've had, uh, and we still do have three teams in the MLS, but the MLS is still considered the American Professional League, right? And those, those three teams were given a special dispensation to play in the MLS because the Canadians didn't have one. So we kicked off this year at the end of April. Uh, seven professional clubs spread across the country. Very interesting because, you know, uh, Halifax to Victoria, so east to west coast, Road trip is now the third longest road trip in, in professional football in the, in the world. So it's a, it's got some interesting uh, challenges to it, but it's also it's been take it's it's taken on a life of its own. It's uh, we're seeing tremendous support here uh, in the country for it. Uh, you know, Canadians the appetite's been been through the roof. Soccer in in Canada is probably the fastest growing participation sport uh, uh, in in the country, and not not probably it is not overtakes even hockey where we're, this is, we consider ourselves in the land of hockey up here, but, but, uh, so, so fastest growing participation sport played equally by, uh, by as, as many females as, as males over 15% of the population claims they play the game on a, on a, at least a weekly basis. Uh, all of our immigration that comes here, it's the number one sport amongst new immigrants and, the country's really growing through immigration, not through not through organic birth rates. So there's some just some great statistics. And as I was taught in business school years ago, if, if all your charts are moving upward to the right, things are going good for you. So that's how we look the old, at it. The old, ho- the old hockey stick, but uh, it, it, it's now a different metaphor, quite clearly. Yeah. You know, you take yeah, a look exactly. at soccer's growth, 
and you realize that the MLS average franchise value is according to four, it's about $240 million, and Don Garber will tell you it's up about 8% every year, uh, pales in yep. comparison to Real Madrid, who's about 3.6, and Barcelona 3.5. Uh, where does your aspiration fit in five years from now relative to values and building and growth and all of the business metrics? So really where five years from now takes us just very close to just before the uh, the World Cup here in, in Canada and the U.S. and Mexico, right, in 2026. So by the time I, I have my, my timeline, my horizon looks out to prior to uh, the 2026 World Cup. And where I'd like to be is about a 14 to 16 team Premier League, which is the right size uh, for a country of 36 million people. So, so we want to be at that level, and then, and then, and then on the verge of getting to the point where we have uh, have cultivated a, a second division that would allow us to start to talk about promotion relegation, which I think is, to me, it's essential in 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 the global game because it's one of the things that we have available to us in global football that that other sports do not have. This idea of, you know, teams that are they're playing for their lives at the bottom of the league, and those in the league below are playing for their for their lives as well, but on an upward swing, right? And so I think it makes things very, very interesting in a sport like ours. Uh, and again, other sports don't have that. Well, and you know, the, the, the interesting perspective about that, obviously, is that I'm sure you stay very close to your friends south of the border and, and you know, in, in Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, north of uh, Don Garber and the MLS. Uh, there was an opportunity years ago to deal with uh, relegation and promotion, and now they will be 30 teams, and they chose not to and probably structurally couldn't do it now even if they wanted to. Different strokes for different folks, obviously. So you think that you will parlay the promotion-relegation concept into an advantage? Yeah, I think it, I think it, we, we see it as an advantage uh, – when it comes to other sports, right? Because it's, uh, you know, I, I, you know, you use, I'll use one example. Last year in the English, English Premier League, M- Manchester City was running away with the title, or I should say, not last year, the year before. Um, um, but uh, anyway, they were running away with the title. So you, you, you worry that, that fans then lose interest, right? And if that was happening in any other sport in North America, people would just, you know, they tune out a little bit, right? Other than the home, hometown ones that are, that are seeing the, the winning streak. But but uh, two years ago in UPL, what happened was everybody was really still in tune with what was happening because the three or four teams at the bottom of the league, they were fighting for their lives to stay up. And then you had the teams in the, in the division below that were fighting to, to kind of move into the promised land, so to speak, right? So that's that that, that provides the it, – it's very entertaining for spectators and supporters. And I think that's what uh, – it just gives football uh, something different than other yeah, sports. Stated- Stated very well, obviously. Uh, a, a country that uh, one-tenth, one-eleventh the size, the United States, uh, may not have those numbers right, but it's a, it's a pretty significant difference, obviously. Yeah, is it a situation where you kind of emulate the realism of the relative strengths of the CFL versus the NFL and try to deal with that there, or do you see kind of differences between the MLS and your league that don't speak to the American versus Canadian football business models? Where, where, where do you stand on all that? Well, the, the way I look at it is, it's, you know, when I, I look to Europe more off, more than, more than not to, to understand because North America's depending on the sport, it, it's, it's, it can be phenomenal or it can be very, very difficult. Right. 
Um, but uh, but but as you look, at, you know, I look at Europe and I and I look at fan base and attendance and things like that. And the reality is, unless you're in one of the big five leagues over in Europe, you know, it doesn't take very long to get to if you're between ten and twelve thousand, you know, fans or spectators per game. You're in the top ten. You know, you're not in the top five or six, but you're seven, eight, nine. You know, it's you know, you've got leagues like Portugal and Turkey and Sweden and Scotland and places like that where you know. The game is, 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 has done very well. But again, their average attendances are only, you know, in that 10 to 12, 13,000 per game uh, range. And that's, that's probably makes more sense in countries, you know, where we have, you know, you know, it's uh, last time I looked, it was 10 to one, but you know, we're outnumbered 10 or 11 to one by the U S right. So we're, uh, we don't have the population base that, that some other countries do have. No, but you have the realism and you have realism of management, obviously, and it's strong business background. Tell me how you deal with the conundrum of the evolution of media, meaning I used to ask the question saying, how do you do with TV? It's not TV anymore. It's devices. It's digital. It's over the top. It's, it's all of those issues. It's streaming. How does a new league deal with the new technology? Well, it's very interesting. We went and, uh, you know, we, we, were, we were being courted by a number of different media outlets. And, of course, up here in, this, in Canada, you've got two big ones, right, that are traditional media, more traditional. That everybody says that they're dealing with uh, digital and streaming and OTT. But, but the reality is, you know, they're still very traditional up here when you only have two big, big organizations. But, but what happened was we started then to talk to some of the European uh, companies that were out there and, and we were we were very fortunate. We we met a company out of Spain called MediaPro. Uh, they probably produce and broadcast uh, more soccer in the world than any other company. They 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 do everything for La Liga. They do League One and League Two in France. They do some of Serie A. Uh, they do they do some EPL stuff now. They do Liga MX in Mexico. Uh, they, they they've done some great stuff. We signed a. A, a, a media deal, a 10-year media deal with them for over $200 million, which was phenomenal because that gave us stability. It also brought the opportunity to not only broadcast linear broadcast games, a group of our games, a percentage of them, but it also uh, allowed us to then broadcast everything else uh, and stream all of our other games. So 100% of our games can be watched uh, you know, in, in some form or another. Uh, depending on whatever form factor you want as a, as a spectator to watch. So this is a game changer for us. Game changer, and I assume your business position as the avid fan who will support the hometown team is going to find you if you have it available, certainly streaming-wise. On the road, everywhere you are, and it's, and it's great because it, so that the other thing that MediaPro did is they created an omni-channel called One Soccer, and they started bringing everything to that channel, right? And so, as, so that, that became that became their kind of broadcast arm. Uh, and, and it's, it's been fantastic. I mean, subscription type service, what you're seeing, the reality is we've been paying subscriptions for sports for years. We just didn't, we didn't call it that. Right. Um, you know, whether you were, you know, if you, if you, if you had all access with the NFL or whatever else is out there, those, those are all out there today. You're paying for it one way or the other, but this is, it's been, it's been, like I say, it's been a game changer for us because it's, all soccer, all the time, 24/7, and and now they've started adding things like Liga MX and uh, and the uh, Concacaf Nations League and and uh, the Chinese Super League onto this one soccer channel. So people are starting to see global football as well. 
Well, David, uh, you're obviously very passionate and a great business background. So, so just give me a perspective of where you think the league and Canadian soccer will be um, in the not-too-distant future. We've already spent five years before the World Cup, but the growth of this league obviously is directly related to not only your ownership and your markets, but the passion of the commissioner. You certainly passed that test. What's next? Well, I think the big thing for us is we need to just keep keep growing. It's 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 expansion clubs, and we're talking to quite a few uh, different groups and, and regions and cities about it. So we need to we need to expand. That's the that's the next test. Then it's about about how do we keep developing players. We've uh, we we put rules in place to develop Canadian talent because we, it was important to us that we we kept homegrown talent and and and, and developed homegrown heroes. And and so when you look at if you look at our starting lineups. Uh, you know, we're, we actually dictate that six Canadians must start a game, and we only allow four, seven foreign ro- players on our rosters, or, or, or total rosters. But we're actually starting as many as, um, on average, between seven and eight Canadians every single game. So we're making sure that, that, that you know, that we're, 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 we've got a young league. We're bringing young people along. We're giving them a chance. We're, we're, we're creating first-time professionals. And, and, I, and I'd like to see some of those prof- those young professionals move on to other leagues and bigger and better leagues, and that's all good for the game as well. So those are the types, you know, developing players, making sure the entertainment value is there, uh, bringing more and more spectators in, getting them to fall in love with what, you know, my, what I consider one of the best games in the world, one of the best sports in the world, and continue to do that. And, and Canadians, uh, I know one thing about Canadians, uh, when they get behind their teams, they, they, they go all in and, and, and and so as they fall in love with this game overall, we'll see some great, uh, some great momentum. Well, words live by. The, the one thing that's very clear, too, is that a lot of people talk a big game relative to new leagues. And certainly, David Clark, you have the business acumen and the passion and the support to back it up. Thank you very much. Really, really, really good luck. Rick Harrow, sports professor inside the boardroom. See you soon. Thanks, Rick. Well, the commissioner's perspective sure is very, very important, and that's exactly what we get in soccer. You'll be hearing a lot more about that as we get closer to the World Cup. Let's talk about sports tech in our Sports Tech Minute, and the scene shifts to Mexico. Formula One trials broadcast by Twitch for the Mexican Grand Prix. Sports Pro says the deal allowed fans in Germany, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden to watch every session of the race weekend live for free via Twitch TV and Twitch's mobile app. The one race agreement saw several interactive and gaming elements integrated into Twitch's coverage of the Grand Prix, and each session was co-streamed by a select group of in-market personalities, including German gaming influencers. Also, in addition, Formula One will include a data extension alongside the broadcast that will allow Twitch users to predict the performance of individual drivers over 10-minute segments of the race. The predictions will then be ranked and displayed according to their accuracy. These digital elements allow for Formula One to reach a younger audience. Meanwhile, Twitch is ramping up its co-streaming feature, which is already used for broadcasts of the NBA G League and Australia's National Basketball League, NBL, in addition to individual streams of the National Women's Hockey League and Thursday Night Football. The idea of every point, every shot, every minute of action is not so far away. You can really say we already have it. That's your Sports Tech Minute. This is the Esports Minute of Keeping Score with Rick Hora, presented by Reuters. I'm Mitch Reams from the Esports Network. Former Los Angeles Laker Rick Fox has been in a heated esports lawsuit. 
Rick Fox formed esports company Echo Fox back in 2015. After a few years, he had built the company into one of the five most valuable esports organizations. Then, things started to go wrong. The first issue was Fox accusing business partner Amit Raizada of using racist language in internal communications. Then Raizada claimed Fox defrauded investors for millions of dollars. Riot Games, the developer of League of Legends, said Raizada must be removed from the organization. When Raizada wouldn't leave, the spot was sold. Echo Fox investors then sued Fox, saying he didn't act in the best interests of the company. That lawsuit has just been settled, and Rick Fox is leaving Echo Fox. No one's reputations came out unscathed, but everyone must be happy it's now over. How about the power of Sports Minute, philanthropy all across the globe? Well, the sports world tackles ocean plastic pollution. Sports Techie says a research expedition embarked from the southwest coast of the UK on a two-year mission to sail westward around the world. The crew aboard the SV Travel Edge, a 73-foot floating laboratory, travels 38,000 nautical miles and crosses all five of the world's major oceans, regions where rotating currents lead to the accumulation of floating plastic uh, waste. And a goal of the journey is to create a global network of ambassadors who can advocate to help solve the problem. Working with a larger environmental organization called 11th Hour Racing over the last few years to give talks and run workshops for other sailors to learn how they can play a role in tackling plastic pollution. And by having athletes tackle environmental problems head on, they can use their social influence to be advocates for policy and lifestyle change. That's your Power of Sports Minute. I'd like to thank everybody for putting this together, Tanner Simpkins, folks on our side, and of course the Reuters folks for taking significant international stories this week and telling you about them in a way you probably can't get elsewhere. Join us next week when we continue to keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score, assistance provided by Carlos Swadek. Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.